All right. Well, we're here today to talk about, uh, we're going to dive into the wonderful world of DUIs. And uh, what we'll do is we'll let Justin talk about the criminal aspect, and then I'll jump in with how that could apply uh, in car accidents and the civil world as well. So maybe kind of explain to everyone what a DUI is. A DUI is when you are either driving or have actual physical control of a vehicle. And a lot of people don't know about the second one or aren't completely don't completely understand the second one. That means the car doesn't have to be in motion, doesn't have to be on, but you are in possession of the keys, you're inside of the vehicle, and you have control of the vehicle. And if you are impaired, either by drugs or alcohol, during this time, you could be found guilty of DUI. So that's how it would it begins is that police either get a, they pull you over for bad driving, or they get a tip on someone saying you're driving poorly, or they maybe, a lot of times they find you passed out in a vehicle, and they start their investigation, which could entail conversation with you, smell of alcohol, see you unable to speak properly. At that point, they'll probably have you get out of the car, have you walk around a little bit, do what they call field sobriety exercises, which include some, we all have heard of them, you know, finger to nose, the, the alphabet, walk a straight line, and then they're trying to gauge if they believe you're impaired. And at that point, if they think they are, you will be arrested and you will take a breathalyzer. In Florida, there's no roadside breathalyzers, nothing like that. They'll take you to the station. They will do what's called a 20-minute observation, make sure there's nothing in your mouth, and then they will give you a breathalyzer test. And at that point, you're already under arrest, but if the test comes back over the limit, there'll be other issues involving uh, driver's license, suspension, et cetera, and that goes in evidence against you, and then the prosecutor will pick it up. What about refusing? Can, can we refuse to do a breathalyzer if we want in florida well i mean you so you if you refuse the first time it is not a legal violation as far as it's not a crime however when you get a license you're saying you are you're agreeing to get provide a breath sample so by not providing it you're violating basically the contract you have with the state and at that point you will lose your license regardless of if you're guilty of dui for a year now if you get arrested a second time for a DUI and a second time you refuse, now it's a first degree misdemeanor. In theory, you could go to jail for up to a year just on the refusing. Again, this is different than the DUI. Mm. So, and potentially a bigger problem than uh, just the refusal if you're getting a second DUI. So, correct. Yeah. And then, you know, ultimately a lot of people ask, what about a car accident? You know, obviously everyone knows that they hear of these horrific accidents involving drunk drivers and stuff like that. And obviously I'll talk about how that implies or applies to the civil side of it, but from the criminal side, what happens if there's a car accident involved? Well, it, it makes the degree, there's, a DUI, is, as long as no one's seriously injured, is always a misdemeanor. However, it makes the punishment, it can go up based on if there's property damage, if this is your second one, et cetera. So if there's property damage, then obviously you're going to have issues with restitution and the time in jail, the maximum time in jail can go up to up to a year and the minimum time as well. Okay. So what if someone dies in the accident? What happens then? Then it's uh, DUI manslaughter, um, which in this and now comes with a four-year minimum mandatory prison sentence up to 15 years. Okay. And then we hear about, you know, obviously we hear about over the legal limit. What's 0.08 is considered over the legal limit. What are the, What does that really mean? So it is different for every person. Um, obviously, people drink and they consume and they, their body 
deals with alcohol differently, but generally it's, you know, people, you would be surprised how quickly you can get to a 0.08. It, that's something that, that legislatures hopefully use some science to determine at that point, if you've had two, three, sometimes four beers, usually not that much, that your body starts, your reaction time goes down. And that's why we had, we set something that you're not reacting as you should when you're behind the wheel of what is basically a weapon at that point. So I just want to make sure I understand. So you could have a, you could blow below a 0.08, but if that term, your faculties, your ability to walk, talk, judge distances, things like that are impaired, but you blow a 0.06, you could still be convicted of a DUI, right? Correct. Okay. Now, you know, on the civil side, ultimately, that's different than the criminal side. I mean, obviously on the criminal side, you're looking at, you know, jail time, probation, losing your driver's license, your car getting impounded, all that stuff. On the civil side, you know, we're more concerned about if there's a car accident with a DUI and what could actually happen um, if the person that caused a car accident is under the influence. And the big way that plays a part into the civil world is if someone's uh, under the influence of an alcoholic beverage, a drug, narcotic, something that impairs their normal faculties, it opens up the door to what we call punitive damages. Um, once you can uh, make the minimum allegations that someone was impaired at the time that they were operating a motor vehicle, you then can allege damages in a punitive nature. And punitive damages are different than just normal damages that you would be able to go after in a car accident. So in a normal car accident, you're able to go after what we call, uh, we'll call them actual damages and then pain and suffering. So you can go after your damages for past medical expenses, future medical expenses, past lost wages, future lost wages, and then also what we call pain and suffering, or what some people refer to as mental anguish, things like that, which would be having to suffer through the medical care and the injuries and the recovery and how it's impacted your life for the rest of your life. But this punitive damages is basically what it says. It's punishment. So in addition to the criminal charges you could have, so if you're involved in a DUI accident and you injure someone, you then open yourself up to punitive damages in a civil suit. So not only do you get uh, potentially someone coming after you for the damages you caused for their actual injuries, but then you could also be ordered by a jury to pay punishment type damages. And then the big thing that's an issue for a defendant if they cause a car accident and they're drunk or under the influence of some sort of substance and they injure someone is their insurance company is not going to cover their punitive damages. So it's written into your insurance policy that punitive damages, most likely it's written into your insurance policy that they don't cover punitive damages. So um, they'll cover the actual damages, but if you're awarded punitive damages, that's something that that individual could be on the hook for themselves as well. So, I mean, I think, you know, obviously someone needs to be concerned about the criminal side of it, but God forbid they get behind the, we the wheel of a vehicle, hurt, hurt someone. They also have tens of thousands of dollars maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars, depending on what a jury does, that they could be staring down the barrel of as well. So, I mean, I think those are things that people really need to, to look into. Um, so what about um, if multiple DUIs, like you have, I, I remember, you know, I used to be a prosecutor. We actually were prosecutors together years ago. Um, kind of explain what, what happens if you have more than one DUI, what happens? It is, there's, well, two within five is, still a misdemeanor but it's a there's a minimum mandatory 10 days in jail Thir three within 10 um becomes a felony and just four in general no matter the time and it goes from you know they this i think it's the end of your i believe it's the end of your sentence through 
when you commit the new one. So they kind of they're shortening the time frame there a uh-huh. little bit to try to to see if you have any issues. But I had a question. A lot of times, you know, in the criminal court, we're always trying to reduce reduce them down to reckless driving, reduce the de- reckless driving. Does that help at all in the civil world? I mean, it could, but I can still, you know, so I represent victims of car accidents. I can still make my minimum allegations that someone was under the influence and there could still be enough for me to be able to allege punitive damages and also potentially prove uh, punitive damages in the civil side. Um, and you could have been convicted and reduced to a reckless driving. And the reason why is because there's a different burden of proof in the civil side and different standards and things like that. But in a nutshell, proving your case in the civil side, the burden or the level that you have to prove it to is lower than what it is in the criminal side. You know, on the criminal side, it's beyond the reasonable doubt. In the civil side, it's preponderance of the evidence. What we say on the civil side is preponderance of the evidence is just a slight tipping of the scales. So you just have to tip the scales in one direction or the other. That's preponderance of the evidence, where obviously there's a completely different instruction in regards to what uh, the beyond the reasonable doubt standard is. So it definitely makes you can still go after that even if someone's reduced to a reckless driving. So I, I think the lesson learned besides uh, if you're involved and in, if you get a DUI, you need to call an attorney or if you're injured by in a car accident with someone that was a drunk driver, you need to call an attorney. But I think the other lesson learned is just call an Uber. Yes. <laughs> or Lyft or a friend or walk, just just don't get behind the wheel and drive. And in, in the modern world, I think it's a lot easier to we just call up an Uber on your phone nowadays. But so, but if you are a victim of a, a drunk driving accident, you know, please don't hesitate to contact us at CorlisBarfield.com, and we'd be happy to talk to you about your rights. And uh, and obviously, if you happen to get charged with a, a DUI, obviously Justin can tell you how to get in touch with him. Yeah, visit my website at PatriusLaw.com. All right. Thank you. Thank you.